Welcome to Game of Books with Kathy in South Dakota. That's me. And Christy in South Florida. That's me. We're two newbie writers sharing our take on wine, food, and mystery books. And the authors who write them. Join us for the fun. Welcome to the Game of Books podcast, Corks in Conversation with Elena Taylor. Yes, you may remember we talked with Elena briefly on our um, Thriller Fest 2 episode, and she was so much fun and so informative that when her new book, All We Buried, came out this week, we couldn't be happier that she agreed to talk with us again. Oh, so true. And we both loved the book. Um, and we'll talk about it next week on a regular episode of a, a book club episode. Um, but today we are so pleased to introduce Elena Taylor to all of our listeners. She has spent several years working in theater as a playwright, a director, a designer, educator, uh, before turning her storytelling skills to fiction. Her first series, The Eddie Shoe Mysteries, was written under the name Elena Hartwell, um, and that introduced that series introduced a quirky mother-daughter crime-fighting duo, which sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> but with her latest book, All We Buried, she returns to her dramatic roots and brings readers a much more serious and atmospheric novel. Mm-hmm. It's located in her beloved Washington state. Mm-hmm. And Elena uses her connection to the environment to produce a forbidding story of small-town secrets and things that just won't stay buried. Uh, Elena is also a senior editor with Allegory Editing, a developmental editing house, where she works one-on-one with writers to shape and polish their manuscripts, short stories, and plays. When she's not writing or coaching writing, her favorite (laughs) place to be is at the farm with her horses, Jasper and Radar, or at her home, which is on the middle fork of the Snoqualmie River Woo, in North Kathy. Bend, Washington. <laughs> I know. I'm hoping Elaine will tell me how I did. Uh, with her husband, their dog, Polar, and their cats, Coltrane and Coco. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Elena holds a BA from the University of San Diego, a master's in education from the University of Washington, Tacoma, and a PhD from the University of Georgia. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Elena, we are so happy you're available to talk with us today. That you handled Snoqualmie like you said it every day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes, yes. Thank you for such a kind introduction. I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, we are excited. And before we get into all the deep questions, I um, think that we should mention and have a sip of the wine we have today. So... um, Mm -hmm. I have a feeling we're not all drinking the same thing, but I chose a bourbon barrel aged Zinfandel called Big Six. And I chose it because Elena's book, um, they don't really drink much wine, but they drink bourbon. I'm pretty sure it was bourbon, (laughs) bourbon or whiskey, something like that. Are they the same? I don't know. And um, 
also I just like a Zinfandel. So I said, okay, I'm going to pick this. <laughs> and I'm not sure um, because obviously um, our availability issues are at an all-time high right now during this pandemic. So I'm not sure what you guys are <laughs> drinking. So um, Washington State, as some of you may know, has some world-class wineries. And um, my husband is a collector and we do a lot of wine tasting and I have Developed a much better palate than I used to have. So I'm drinking a um, what's called Eisenhower Cellars, and they are from Walla Walla, Washington. They're one of the wineries that we like to visit. And I'm having a Mouvedre, which is a, a spicier, full-bodied red. And I, But I have to tell you why I chose that particular bottle. Is it goes beautifully with this red velvet cake? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so got to celebrate my book launch, and so I'm having a Mouvedre oh. and uh, red velvet cake, which is a beautiful combination. Oh yay, yay! I know. So your book just launched yesterday, right? Yeah. <sighs> Congratulations! Yes. Thank it's such a good book. And and it is, I know it's a crazy time, but hopefully people are just deciding to stay home and read a lot and they'll all enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also think that ebook and with it also coming out in audiobook, it gives people some different ways to read. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people don't necessarily want to or can't necessarily order hardbacks, although my books are, are were printed before all of this happened, so there physically are copies in the world that people can buy. But it's sort of nice to have those options of going with the e-reader, or in May it comes out on an audiobook. Great, Kathy. What are you drinking? <laughs> I am drinking. I sh- I should tell you. I I've been to Washington a handful of times, and I do love the wine there. It is so great. And if I had better choices here in South Dakota right now, I would have a Washington Red. But <laughs> I I am dream I'm um, drinking a Dreaming Tree um, Cabernet, which I think we've talked about before on the show. On the mm-hmm. show, Christy. yeah, we like that too. But yes, Washington has lovely, lovely vineyards, lovely wines. Yes, we really do. We'll have to take a trip out there, Kathy. <laughs> we'll do yes. you, for your next yes. book. We'll come right out there and uh, interview <laughs> you in person. We'll do a wine tasting and book event. Sounds awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> All right, so Wonderful. let's get on to the questions. Um, so... I know I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> So um, obviously we're all staying home because of the pandemic. And, and I, I think that writers are one group of people that don't find their work schedule changing that much. Um, I'm not positive, but I was wondering if that was true for you and what you have found has been the most challenging adjustment. Yeah, such a good question. So both my work lives, both as a novelist and as a developmental editor, of course, I'm working at home and online. And so my physical location hasn't changed. The The big thing for myself, and I've talked to a lot of writer friends, and we all are struggling with the same thing, is it's really hard to be focused right now. We're mm-hmm. all so impacted by um, whether it's someone we know or someone in our community who's ill, the 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 level of anxiety because of not knowing what's going to happen and concern about friends and family that are, you know, in those high risk 
groups and the economy crashing down, it's all really troubling. And so here we are at home and you would think, oh, well, you're just going to keep working like you always do. And the reality is it's really, really hard to focus. And so I have found for myself, and I've always been a little bit this way, but I have found for myself that I am working in shorter spurts. Mm-hmm. So I might not do a four-hour block. I might do 20 minutes and then have to go do something else, mm-hmm. um, something physical or play with the dog. Or um, I will admit I've been binge-watching television. <laughs> things <laughs> kind of let yourself have, a, you know, kind of have a breath. Uh, recognize the anxiety that we're all kind of living with and then sort of refocusing and going back to work. So it is true that a lot of us work from home anyways, and so that hasn't changed. But I know a lot of people, sort of their patterns mm-hmm. have really shifted around. Yeah. Well, it's so good to hear you say that too, because I know Kathy and I are both um, newbie writers and we're, you know, trying to work at the same time and we're both finding the same situation. It's just... Yeah. yeah. You know, it's yep. just hard it to is. focus. It, and it then, really you know. is. I will say one of my tricks is I print stuff out, and I find that I'm more able to focus on a hard paper copy than I am on a computer screen. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. All right. <laughs> we'll remember that tip. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but so Elena, before though, before the current circumstances we're in, did you have a set? kind of day, writing day. I think people are always so interested about how the sausage gets made. (laughs) So, um, you know, what what was your normal productive working day like prior to this then? Yeah, good question. So I basically work seven days a week, um, but I don't necessarily work eight hours a day. So I, I don't necessarily work more hours than the average person. It's just sort of spread out a little bit differently. I tend to write best in the morning, so oftentimes I will get up, I'll get my coffee, I'll go to my computer. Um, I might do a little bit of emails, but I try not to get too caught up in stuff, and I will write in the morning, and that's mm-hmm. usually my most productive time. And that might be an hour, that might be four hours, that might be longer, depending on sort of where I'm at with mm-hmm. a particular project. Um, and then in the afternoon, after I play with my horses, because I do try to get out with them every day, um, I will do uh, editing stuff um, for clients um, and work on promotions and things, uh, the business side of writing. But I am a person, and everybody works differently, but for me, I tend to do best if I kind of pop around with different things. So I might write for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then do a post on my, one of my social media. And then I'll mm-hmm. write for 20 minutes and then I'll go get a cup of coffee. And then I will, so I my even if I'm writing for a four or five hour stretch, I get up and down and I shift my attention to other things. So what I tend to do is I'll write like a scene if it's new or I'll edit a chapter. I'll have a very sort of specific chunk. And then I'll step away and do something else, even if it's only for a couple of minutes, to kind of recharge and refocus. And that's always been true. Um, mm. I'll, I'll have some days where I sit down and I will work on a manuscript, you know, for six hours without moving. That does happen, but it's not the norm. Right. Hmm. I uh, yeah. I find that um, snacking is, is my downfall when I stand up and walk around. I, I need to get horses to, <laughs> to distract me. 
<laughs> yeah, awesome. it's amazing how being outside and and especially now that the sun is out, um, you know, getting a little bit of fresh air and running around is so good for being able to then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of get back to work when you come back in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you find it's it's hard to both write your own stuff and then be editing somebody else's stuff? I mean, it seems like to me that would be hard on the brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, surprisingly, no, uh, it's not ever been an issue for me. And, and um, sometimes even sometimes even like if I have a project that's got a, a, a due date coming up or or that I you know, might be a bigger project that I need to put a lot of specific time in. I might even do that first mm-hmm. um, and hit hit my – the way I, I do with a, an editing client is I know how many pages I'm working with, and I make sure that I hit a certain number of pages per day so that I will stay on schedule with that material. So I might even do those pages first because then it's not gnawing at me mm-hmm. that I have this responsibility to another person. And so sometimes I'll even sort of clear my deck and do that first and then start working on my own material. No, I it's it's a lot like I don't know if you are someone who can read more than one book at a time or uh-huh. watch like watch multiple series on TV. It's the same kind of thing where they sort of all play off of each other so I might look at something in my own manuscript and see an issue and be like oh you know what I just saw that in this manuscript that I was (laughs) working with or you know and so you know writers Mm -hmm. all tend to have the same kinds of problems and so they actually sort of can play you know in a good way Mm -hmm. um, play off of each other where I can see patterns in someone else's writing and realize I have it in my own or vice versa. Um, and once I'm into a project, whether it's my own or a client, I'm always so engaged in that world. I just shut out, you know, I shut out other things. So mm-hmm. no, I, I find they actually really complement each other. That's interesting. That, and mm-hmm. I, I can see how that would be true. So that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So I, Elena, I just um, had received a developmental edit myself on my current work in progress right before the pandemic hit, and um, like at the beginning of March, I guess it was about a month ago. And I, it initially, it took some time for me, and it was wonderfully helpful. But it really took some time for me to process all of the, the editor's remarks. You know, everything. I just couldn't hop into work, and I, I'm assuming that's because of. It needed time to process, not the pandemic. But um, I'm wondering if you could um, maybe explain to our listeners, a lot of whom are new writers, kind of what the role of a, of a freelance editor is, and then also what advice you give your clients when you give them an edit. Great question, and so true. And and I have to commend you for not jumping in and just starting to kind of, you know pack away at your manuscript without really integrating what you've learned. So that is a really positive thing that, that you did take the time. Um, so yeah, a couple of things. So first off, a developmental editor is very different than someone who's doing copy editing. And so just make sure that your listeners know a developmental editor is working big picture. So we're looking at things like the story structure and character development and dialogue and and all of those sort of components that make a book successful. We're not the person who's necessarily checking for typos and grammatical errors. I do point those out when I see them, but that's not what, that's not where I am at, or the writing is at when I'm working with the writer. 
So one of the things that I always tell the people that I work with is you have to do what I call honoring the mole. And by that I mean mole as in M-U-L-L, thinking about contemplating um, material. I think the biggest mistake that writers make when they get feedback is they immediately start doing everything they've been told. And the reason that that's a problem is, one, you're not just getting editing back on the project that you're working on. You're being taught how to be a better writer. And so you need to understand the concepts that are being applied so that the next time around, whether it's the next draft on this book or the next book that you write, you, you're you learning how to not create that problem to begin with. So, for example, one of the most common issues that I see over and over and over again is um, a lack of understanding of what objectives and obstacles state. That every character has an objective in every scene, that something's in the way, and that it matters if they do or do not achieve that goal. That's really basic. But I can take part just about any manuscript, including, including my own, and say, <laughs> the problem, like, you're missing this. This isn't here in this scene, or it's not in this chapter, or you don't have a super objective in the whole book. And so if you spend some time and you really think about not just how do I put it in this book, but what does this concept mean? How does this play out? It's not just going to improve your manuscript. It's going to make you a better writer. Mm-hmm. So I always tell um, I always tell my writers, go through the material that I've given you, you know, go through the editorial letter, look at the big picture stuff, go through the manuscript, look at my notes, don't do anything, just sit with it. Because then the second component is, one, you have to understand it. You have to understand the feedback. And I don't tell people necessarily how to fix their book. I tell them what they need to fix. Because it really is up to the writer to determine, okay, this is a problem because there's no objective here. But I'm not going to tell you what the objective is. That's your job. You have to figure out what your character wants. I can't tell you that. I can tell you what I think it is or what would make sense. But you've got to Mm -hmm. understand the concept and then apply it. And then secondly, just because I see that there's a problem with a part of a manuscript doesn't mean I know the what's the right way to fix it. So sometimes, and this happens for myself working with my own editors, sometimes editors will be like, yeah, this section doesn't work, you know, because of this. And you realize, oh, mm-hmm. no, the section doesn't work, but they're wrong about why it doesn't work, and I know how to fix that. So it's also really important that the writer takes in that feedback and and really walks through, hey, okay, yeah, this doesn't work, but are they right about why it doesn't work, or is there a better way to fix it? And so all of that is happening simultaneously, and it really requires, in my opinion, time spent by the writer to understand what's going wrong, what the editor is saying could fix it, and clarifying for themselves, is that the right, are those the right changes to make, and then institute those. Well, that's huge. That's a huge process, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. And so rushing to finish a rewrite will always hurt you. It's going to mean you've got to do 10 rewrites instead of one. Interesting. Wow. Honoring the mole. I love that. Yes. Honoring the mole. That's so good. Yeah. How to honor the mole. A friend of mine and I came up I with that it. back in graduate school and I've used it ever since. <laughs> oh, that's well, I'm so glad great. you spelled it too because I kept picturing like one of those small animal, you know, rodents. <laughs> I was like, what is she talking about? <laughs> yes. She has those on her on her farm too. 
Okay, so Elena, this is the time we like to ask um, our guest author the question in a bottle. Um, these are the sorts of questions that might come up when you get to the bottom of a bottle. Um, we'll pick a random question, and if you don't like it, you can pass, and we'll try another. All right, Christy. Okay, so... You got so, it? Yes, but today I'm going to cheat <laughs> because <laughs> I'm going to pick a question that I wanted what? to... Yes. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? Everything's crazy in the world. So I want to know... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know Elena's answer to this. Okay. Have you ever created a character based on one of your pets? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Actually, I have a story for you. Um, so... My very first series, uh, my Eddie Hughes series, the kind of love interest for my private eye is a homicide investigator named Chance. C-H-A-N-C-E, Chance. His name is Chance Parker. And um, I had already written a draft of the book. It hadn't been published yet, but um, I had written it. And I came to know a horse who had been horrifically abused and basically... Oh. They anticipated he was not going to survive. He came into a horse rescue where I was working, and he ended up, uh, he and I ended up bonding almost immediately. I was the only person on the property that could touch him, um, mm. and he would just, he and I were incredibly close. And he was named Camp, and I didn't name him that. And so as I was rewriting my Camp character, I started giving him characteristics of <laughs> what, what became my horse. Yeah. And so um, it was such a strange sort of confluence um, of, of these two ma- of these two males, um, my my character Sam Parker and my horse Chance. So um, yeah, and then I I wouldn't say necessarily there are other people that that are sort of based on my animals, but certainly animals play a huge role in my work. I have, mm-hmm. you know, there's dogs and there's horses and, um, and that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the natural world is very um, sort of engaged in the natural world. And so those things play a huge role, but yeah, Dance and dance came into my life. That's, That's great. Awesome. <laughs> oh gosh. So it was a good cheat, Christy. Yes, yeah, thanks. I know. You never know, know but <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um I do find it interesting that you write under two different names for different types of mysteries. And can you explain how this came about and maybe any positives or negatives you can share with other writers thinking of doing the same thing? Yeah, um, I think it's uh, uh, it's it, for me it was absolutely the right decision to make. And the way it came about is my Ed Hughes series is very funny. Um, not that there aren't sort of heavy social issues involved or that there aren't serious things happening in the books, but they're funny. And it's a a mother father mother daughter crime fighting duo, and um, the two of them, the mom character is just huge. Um, and they're funny all the way through. And so I, the new book, All We Buried, as you know, is not funny. Um, it is, <laughs> not funny, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's being called things like atmospheric and dark <laughs> and mysterious and all those wonderful things that you want, but a very different book. So when I first started working with Crooked Lane, we had the conversation about how anyone who is familiar with my work as Elena Hartwell is going to expect 
a funny book. And if you think what you're going to read is going to be funny and it's not, you're disappointed. So mm-hmm. a reader who mm-hmm. my other ones loves the book will still feel a sense of disappointment because they were expecting something very different. So here's a funny story for you. I didn't quite believe that. I thought, no, all we have to do is really say to people, look, this is a departure. It's a very different book. And so I was kind of on the fence. So I was having a conversation with someone who's known me for more than 25 years, and she was asking about the new book, and, and I said, well, it's not funny. She goes, oh, come on. It's a little bit funny, right? And I said, no, no, it's not funny. She says, no, I don't believe you. We don't really think that you can write a book that's not funny. And so I immediately called my editor back, and I said, you're absolutely right. We need to put <laughs> so I became a convert that uh, really signaling to people, look, this is such a different kind of book that we're not even putting it out as the same name, I think was absolutely the right way to go. So I, I didn't have any, there were no negatives for me. Um, I didn't even practicing how to sign Elena Taylor. Sign it Elena Harwell, which I, I sort of think I might do because I've been signing things uh, by uh, under the name Elena Harwell for a very long time. Um so, but I haven't had any negatives. It was sort of fun. People are, all, are are sort of curious about it. So it gets them really asking about the differences in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of fun to create, you know, it's sort of a new persona, but not. Like, it's, it's still me. We're not hiding that it's me. We want readers to know that it is me. But we want to really establish that this is a very different series. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's funny because I'll still have people who know me under both and say, well, but are there, is there any carryover? It's like, no, no, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I, uh, yes, it is. An, but I, I've not read the other series, which now I completely want to read. I know, me because too. Because this, you know, because All We Buried is, it's so gripping and it's so heavy and dark but such a satisfying ending and oh but yeah I, like the yeah. humor thing now i yeah i'm dying now to get into the humor so this is awesome <laughs> so Thank so you. how did you come up with the last name taylor just out of curiosity if you can say well <laughs> so i started thinking about all right so i'm going to come up with this pen name and i knew you know this is a name i'm going to be living with forever it will always be on these books and and potentially other books down the road and so i wanted uh, so I started thinking about, well, what do I want out of that name? And I wanted a name that was easy to pronounce, easy to spell. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were sort of some, you know, I, I was playing around with some combinations. My husband's last name is Hammerly, and I was sort of playing around with some of, like, the original Swiss, you know, the Swiss spelling with umlauts and everything. And I thought, no, Elena, that's ridiculous. You can't have a name that people can't spell. <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of been going back and forth. Well, my horses are boarded at a place called Taylor Mountain Stables. And Taylor Mountain is the um, uh, forest area, state park, um, that, that borders where my horses are. And so every day when I would drive in, I would pass Taylor Mountain turn off, and then I would drive into Taylor Mountain Stables. And one day I thought, you know, I really like the name Elena Taylor. <laughs> so that's where it came from. Well, that's <laughs> so funny. I have to tell you real, real quick that... Um, you know, I was Googling North Bend today because I was like, uh-huh. where is this? And what, you know, <laughs> and um, and I saw that one of the founders, the main founder of North Bend was William Taylor. 
right? Yeah. So yeah, then I'm uh-huh. so then I'm thinking, okay, maybe Elena's husband is a tailor <laughs> and he's really the basis of Rob Collier's character. <laughs> <laughs> she no, went deep all about my horses. <laughs> oh, that's again back to the question of the bottle it's all about the animals that's awesome okay so elena i'm really curious we have to back up a little bit i'm curious about your leap from theater world to novel fiction writing what tell, can you give us a kind of a how that happened? Yeah, right? That was a switch. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. I, I guess that my heart is I'm a writer, and currently I'm writing novels. And prior to that, I was writing plays. And so the common thread, obviously, is I've just always been a writer. And I had kind of gotten into, I got into theater in college and really loved the art form. And I continued to be a playwright throughout, even though I did a lot of directing and teaching and other things. Because being a playwright is even harder than being a novelist, and, and it's a it's tough to make a living at it. So I, I had a lot of a lot of jobs, um, <laughs> but it taught me so much about character development and story structure and how to use dialogue and. One of the interesting things that happened when I wrote my first novel, um, and this was not something that's ever been published, but my very, very first novel, and I wrote I wrote the first thing, and I I had a conversation with the developmental editor very early on, because I wasn't sure what to do next, and so I was working with her, and she came back to me after reading it, and she said, you know, Elena, she said, this has never happened before. She said, you write beautifully, and you have all this great atmosphere. She says, but I don't know what anything looks like. You don't actually describe anything. And I realized, because that's what a set designer and a lighting designer and a costume designer does. <laughs> As a playwright, I didn't have to do that. And so I actually had to learn um, in those, you know, my early books and early drafts, I had to learn how to be concise with description mm-hmm. um, because I was so used to creating atmosphere, which then a designer would manifest depending on what stage and, you know, what theater and um, you know, the cast and everything. And so, whereas being a playwright is all about creating sort of worlds that can be flexible, as a novelist, you have to create worlds that are concrete and set in stone on the page. So that was something I really had, I had to learn. Hmm. Um, so I spent, oh gosh, more than 20 years in the theater, but I'd always had this sort of nagging, I wanted to write a novel. I wanted to write a novel. Even though my plays have been produced around the United States and even in Europe, and wow. I've had plays published and, um, you know, all of that, like, I was ha- I had success as a playwright, but I still just have this gnawing, I always wanted to write a novel. And so I wrote my first book and rewrote that multiple, multiple times, and then I wrote a couple other books. And then Eddie Fuse came on board and got picked up as a three book series. And, um, you know, I just haven't, haven't looked back since then. But I really credit all my years in this year. Well, with two things. Um, one, of course, is really understanding storytelling and story structure because story structure is huge and it's so kind of obvious in a play script mm-hmm. because you have You've got two hours to tell a story. 
So you have to be clear and concise, and it has to build, and it has to grow to a climax, and the audience members expect every scene to be more important. And that's true in a novel, too, but it's harder to see that structure. And so I sort of had that understanding. And then the second thing is it's made me a very collaborative writer. I know a lot of writers who, you know, they want to hang on to every word, and they don't want to take notes, and they don't want to hear feedback from editors. And I'm always like, yeah, what can we do to make it better? Like, I love working mm. with editors, and I love working with beta, you know, readers, and and uh, I have a writing partner, and I'm I thrive on that because that's what you do in the theater. Mm-hmm. And so I mm. I walk in as a novelist with you know that expectation of that's how the world works is is everybody that you work with is going to make your work better, and that's positive as opposed to oh I'm being attacked or you know this is personal. And I don't mean it doesn't hurt. We all want our work to be perfect. <laughs> We're mm-hmm. not right. <laughs> it's not. You know, it's not. So like. I love, 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 love getting those back. You know, mm-hmm. that's something that I really enjoy. And so those are the things that I think being in the theater really helps me with. Well, it's interesting because um, I noticed you on your blog that you um, interviewed Al Pesson, um, a new yeah. writer, and we actually yeah. had him on our podcast. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, last last two weeks ago, when his when um yeah so um and he also wrote a play. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we are if they were all out, we're out there. I think people who kind of shift in between theater or film mm-hmm. and novels, right? Because I think for some of us, at our heart, we're storytellers, and yes. the medium sometimes changes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But you were mm-hmm. thinking about his play. Uh, yeah, I was going to say his play was um, like a farce, which is totally different than yeah. his political thriller. <laughs> so again, yeah, you know. Very different. Yeah, very different. And, you know, the one of the funny things I discovered shifting from theater to uh, the literary world is that in the theater, there is no expectation that you write in a particular genre. So a playwright could write a very funny play and then turn around and write a political play and then turn around and write something really, you know, domestic drama. And nobody's going to bat an eye because playwrights are merely um, writing the experiences of being human and putting it on stage. Mm-hmm. But then you get over the literary world and, and writers are supposed to be really contained and be kind of in a box and, oh, you write, you know, you write cozy mysteries and you write thrillers and, you you know, this person writes romance. And there's sort of an expectation that you don't cross genre lines. And that really took me by surprise. Yeah. Uh, I it's, sort of had anticipated that. That's not how I think. Right. Um, hmm. I feel the that, same way. I don't, I don't, I struggle with that whole, you know, you got to be one way. I mean, sometimes the story is funny sometimes the story is serious you know sometimes it's a dark wow, mystery yeah. so yeah. yeah yeah and my answer to that is women write under multiple names <laughs> okay <laughs> that's awesome well elena it's been so fun talking with you today well it's been my pleasure yes but before we go we have one final question that we asked uh-huh. To appease our mysterious foodies out there. That's what we call our listeners. Um, so the question is, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, I think I would go have a picnic mm-hmm. and I would 
I would go with Schweitzer. I'm in love with Schweitzer, and I think that he and I could have a wonderful hike and then have a picnic together. Now, the question is, what will you eat? Probably what he eats like raw hamburger, right? Isn't that? Well, he likes a he likes a burger, yeah. Likes his burgers rare and now. That's how I like his burgers. But um, probably I would be, you know, I would be good, and I would give him dog food. He would have dog food. I would have a nice for a picnic. I would pick a, a nice, uh, a, maybe a white wine, and we could um, uh, to go with my, you know, my pate and my cheese and crackers. <laughs> well, that sounds lovely. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh my gosh. Okay, so. Um, if our listeners, and I know they will, um, want to reach out and have, if they have more questions or they want to get in touch with you about All We Buried or, or hire the previous you. series, how, right, or hire you, how can they best get involved, uh, get in touch with you? I would love that. I love interacting with readers. So the easiest place to find me is on the web, com, all one word, E-L-E-N-A-T-A-Y-L-O-R. A U T H O. I had to think about how to spell awesome. <laughs> it's the wine. Blame it on the wine. <laughs> um, and uh, from my website, you can you can also find me on all social media platforms. So I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and um, I also have a newsletter that goes out once a month. I'd love to sign up for that. I do a lot of writing tips. Um, I do giveaways. I do animal corner with pictures of my animals. Um, so and stuff like that. <laughs> and I'm also uh, happy to, you can email me from there as well. I'm happy to answer um, either writing questions or readers' questions. I love to interact with people. Well, that's wonderful. Awesome. That I'm sure everybody's happy when they can find out information from their favorite authors. So we thank you. Um, listeners, if you haven't already, you need to go out and get All We Buried. I mean, it came out yesterday, so it might be a little, you know, there might be some of it's you that got so it already. It's so good. It is so it's good. It's so great. Good. It's, it's the perfect read for right now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And it's a it's That's a real so page fun. turner. I mean, you know, or oh on gosh. the Kindle, it, you're going to be tapping that screen a bunch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and then we're going to talk about it next week on our um, episode. So yeah. Yes. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation. And so cheers. Cheers. Yay. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks to our mysterious foodies out there for listening and sharing. Check out our website, gameofbookspodcast.com where you can find links to all we talk about. And if you subscribe to our weekly newsletter, you can get those links sent directly to you, along with any exciting updates. We are also on Facebook and Twitter under at GOB Writers. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, we would love to hear from you. And please subscribe to Game of Books wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of our book club ideas and quirks and conversations with award-winning and best-selling authors. That's all for today's episode of Game of Books Podcast, where we share food, wine, and mystery every Friday morning, just in time for the weekend. This is Christy and Kathy saying thanks for listening. Bye, Bye, everybody. everybody.